Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Have you ever considered that perhaps your brand of Christianity or churchianity might actually not be serving you? In fact, might not even be serving Jesus either. That it might be a set of rituals, or it might be just a Sunday go to meet in churchianity, but you know in your deepest heart of hearts that you're really not living the life of Christ. In fact, if you're really honest, you're thinking that, you know, deep down inside, if people really knew who you were and how you live and why you do what you do or don't do what you do, they might actually not even think that you're a follower of Christ, and perhaps you don't either. Not really. You realize and you think that you're a failure, that you just can't make it, that other people do, and some seem to be filled by the Holy Spirit and seem to be walking not only in grace but in power, but you, well, not quite. Is there a reason for that? Well, uh, undoubtedly there is. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about what that reason is and not only leaving it an, an analysis, but actually looking at what is required for you to live, well, shall we say, to have a radical shift in your life. A radical shift in your life that will change everything. Our guest today says self-help is a threat to God's children. Really? Well, if that be true, then why are so many books for the past 30, 40 years been all self-help books, even Christian books? Self-help. Whatever happened to God's help? Whatever happened to the power of the Holy Spirit? Whatever happened to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Whatever happened to the spiritual disciplines that allow God's Spirit actually to govern our lives. Today on Viewpoint, I trust that you're going to stay tuned because you want everything to change for the better. Because we can't continue doing what we've been doing or not doing what we've not been doing and expect change. We just can't expect God to be able to get a hold of our lives when we have a stranglehold on our lives and will not let go. Today, there's hope. Hope on the horizon, my dear friends. Our special guest today says there are seven core disciplines that will help us to trust God and not rely upon our own strength. He says where self-help ends and God's power begins, there are seven resolutions, he says, that are going to enable us to rise above that sameness, that lack of vital churchianity, Christianity that has been imprisoning us. So I want to welcome a fellow Swede here to the program today, <laughs> Carl Clausen, a fellow yes. Swede, both of us lamenting over what's happened in Sweden <laughs> and lamenting over what's happened in America. And oftentimes it is church. Carl, it's good to have you on the program. 
It's good to be with you, Chuck, and I really appreciate all that you've already been sharing. I've just been tuned in myself, and I appreciate this a lot. Well, speaking of tuned in, I understand that you yourself uh, have a love affair with radio. Well, I do. I mean, I, I, I wasn't. I'm not a radio guy. I'm a pastor, and I'm a I'm a leader, and a, probably an evangelist a bit. Although mm-hmm. that term has been distorted. But I, I've found that in the last uh, 10 years of my life, I've been doing this on radio. So we have about 300,000 faithful listeners every morning. And you've counted and, every single one of them, right? No, this guy named Arbitron has, but I don't believe this guy anyway. You know, Arbitron is arbitrary. <laughs> you know what? You are right about that, man. And Here's you know what? what? Know. When you count your listeners, you're falling into the same pit that David did in when he counted the children of Israel. Here's what I know for sure. When I talk into the microphone, I see no one. So I have suspicions from time to time that Arbitron is arbitrary, and there ain't no one out there. But I'm hoping so. Yeah, well, you know, uh, people are always asking me, Chuck, how many listeners do you have after 28 and a half years on the air? And I say, I don't know. And in, in reality, I don't care in one sense, and that is I'm doing what God asked me to do, and that's his job. You're right. That's his job. At the, end of, at the end of the day, man, this is part of what got us into this malaise in the church is that we started measuring the wrong things. We, exactly. We, we began to gain our validation by how many people are occupying chairs or pews and how much money's given. And when you start counting noses and nickels, that's your primary metric. You're going to miss the Great Commission and the joy of walking in the power of the Spirit. Exactly. Thank you so much. Well, now that we've gotten that little corrective measure out of the way, we can talk about. <laughs> we can tell you know what we did is just make a confession. Because... Oh no the, the the reality is this: the impact that we have in ministry is going to be portioned to us by God. He's the one that gives us anything we have, eat and sleep and drink, and it's all to his glory. Yeah. And you know what's what's beautiful? The Apostle Paul said that the kingdom of God is not uh, uh, food or meat and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Yes. Not just yeah. righteousness, joy, and peace, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's oftentimes what is missing uh, and that's why Paul wrote Romans 8, where he talks about this battle, this tremendous battle of our flesh against the spirit. He calls it the carnal nature. And uh, he says that the flesh or the carnal nature is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But if that be true, then why is it we think we can win the war, the spiritual wars of life through our carnal nature? Yeah, and, and you know, that's the great dilemma. It is. I think there's two. I, I think there's two things going on in the church right now that cause us to live a very impoverished spiritual life. Mm. And I'm not talking about good, healthy spirituality. Healthy spirituality is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we when we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt, now we're positioned for kingdom gold, really being in step with the Lord. But I think the first thing, Chuck, that's on my heart is that we seem to, we've tried to disciple lost people in the church. And I think that when you have a primary metric that is around how many people are coming and how much money is given, 
you find yourself uh, bringing, you dilute the gospel, and in turn, you wind up putting people into small groups that often do not even know Jesus personally. And Jesus mm. warned of this in Matthew 7. He said, many oh. will say to me on that day. And the interesting thing about the many that Jesus is referring to there, Chuck, as you well know, is that this is not the folks that are bellied up to the bar uh, during happy hour. Mm. These are people that have taught in Jesus' name, they've cast out demons in Jesus' name, and they've done mighty works in his name, and he's going to say, I never knew you. And passed through the doors of our churches and uh, once made a confession of Christ, but you'd never know it by the way they live. And therein lies the problem. You're exactly right. And uh, so today on Viewpoint, we want to encourage people that truly are wanting to follow the Lord. Friends, the famous basketball coach said... Failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station, or anytime at Save Up. I'm so glad, friends, that you've joined us here today on Viewpoint with our new friend, Carl Clausen, a fellow Swede here. He's full Swede. I'm half Swede. And uh, you can call it what you will, friends, but uh, uh, this is the first time we've had such a Swedish conspiracy on this program. And uh, it could put us in danger of being charged with some sort of confederation, conspiracy. We may start telling Norwegian jokes here before long. Well, we we could. So, friends, what we're really talking about here is not a joking matter. (laughs) It's not. It's about life. And uh, so many of us have been led to believe over the past 40 or 50 years that Self-help is the game. So self-help books have been the fastest-selling genre of books other than mysteries and romance novels. Did you hear that? Other than mysteries and romance novels, self-help books have been the genre that sells the most. Why is that? Because we have been convinced by our culture, um, by the exhortational, motivational speakers of our culture, even within the church, that we can do it, we can make it on our own, and we don't really need the empowering, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That is a serious, serious problem. And today on Viewpoint... Our special guests, Carl and myself, want to disabuse you of that idea because we have discovered in our lives that without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no matter how much study we have done, no matter how much preparation we may have done for a radio program or for speaking or whatever it happens to be, Without the Holy Spirit, it falls dead. It just doesn't have life in it. 
So we can't continue, friends. We just can't continue. As John Wooden, the basketball coach, once said, we just can't continue uh, doing the same thing over and over again. Failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. So what we're talking about today on Viewpoint is the need for change and what that change looks like. So Carl says that there are seven resolutions that we need to make. Now, yes, we partner with God. We're not going to replace him, but we're going to partner with God. We make the choices, and God then helps us make the changes. Does that sound right, Carl? Yeah, it's the only gospel that there is. I mean, yeah. Chuck, it's it's an interesting thing. The malaise that we find ourselves in is not new. I think a lot of people look at American Christianity and they say, "Oh boy, you know this is this is this is one of the." It, listen, it's 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 sad. It's disappointing. We're post Christian nation. Yeah. But this isn't new because if you go back to the Book of Galatians in chapter three, verses one through three, the Apostle Paul was speaking to a church that was in a struggle for its life, and the Mm -hmm. battle lines were clearly drawn. Either they were going to try to live their Christianity in their strength, commonly Mm -hmm. called the flesh, or the Greek word is sarx, if you're interested. It is a good word, because it indicates everything that we are apart from the power of God, our memory, our tapes, our loops, everything that goes in our mind, all of our self-will, our self-help. And this is what Paul said. He says, who has bewitched you? That that you began in the power of the Spirit, why are you working this out in the flesh? Mm-hmm. And it would have been a shocking question for them because they would have thought, that's right, that's right. We This whole thing began by the power of the Spirit, and now we're trying to work it out in our own strength. So the, the American church, I do believe, is stuck there. But I don't believe it's new. It's 2,000 years old, at least, probably a lot longer, because the tendency is to take the very blessings that God gives us, Chuck, and I think this is one of the uh, the, the sideways curses of the blessings of God on America, is that we take God's blessings, turn them into idols, lose proximity to God, and mm. then the whole house falls down. There you go. That's well, well stated. And uh, so we want to get focused here. And, of course, that's one of the uh, the seven resolutions is to uh, focus our effort or get focused. So let's focus in here. Uh, you have said that there are these seven resolutions. Now, when, when we think about the resolutions, uh, the word resolution, we think of January 1st, <laughs> the yep. beginning of a yep. year. Well, we're going to yep. make our, our resolution this year. And, of course, the joke is always, yeah, the resolution lasts for about two or three weeks, maybe two or three months, and then it will goes bye-bye. So when we make this kind of resolution, it has to have something that is so momentous uh, that grabs our minds, our hearts, like a spirit, grabs our spiritual jugular and says, okay, come on, uh, there's a life ahead, let's get ordered toward it. Now, you had an experience, and I had an experience that helped us in that regard. I want to share mine, and then you tell me if it resembles yours, which which I know it does. (laughs) And here it is. After seven years of marriage, my wife and I, both having been Christians from the age of five, my wife came to me and said, Chuck, I don't have any more feelings for you, and it scares me. 
That's what she said. I don't have any more feelings for you, and it scares me. Now, she wasn't making a threat. She was just revealing a depth of feeling and sense that because of our life from the beginning, with my working two jobs and then going to law school and working a full job, it was so overwhelming that it commanded, commandeered all of our time and stripped away our relationship. So when she said those words, I had a choice. I could respond and say, to use a term that was common there in the 1970s, well, hang it in your ear. You know, in other Mm -hmm. words, that's your problem. Or I could say, okay, Lord, I've got a problem here. And I can't deal with this. I have to have your help. That's the choice that I made. And the rest is history. If I had not made that choice then to partner with God, to join with God concerning my own marriage, I would not be here today talking with you. It changed everything. Yeah, no doubt, Chuck. Any experience like that for you? Almost a mirror of it. (laughs) Several years into, and, you know, we were waist-deep. Interestingly enough, I was waist-deep in what I thought was a very effective. It was. There were a lot of redemptive things coming out of this ministry that we were involved in. Mm-hmm. Two little kids and my bride with a quivering chin told me the same words, Chuck. She said, but she took it a step further. She says, I, I don't love you, and it scares me. Ooh. Now, that was a that was a cry for, for help in a big way. Yeah. And, you know, I... Having been raised in Alaska and having done a lot of adventure, I found myself in a weird place because I always I was raised by a good man, godly man, and he taught me how to fix it, how to repair it, how to mm-hmm. build it, how to shape it. So you thought you could life. fix it yeah. in your own yeah, power, I and I thought the same thing, but I've been trying to do that for seven years with all the signs yeah, well, out there, and it didn't work. work. Yeah. No, no. So my way in the road for me came when I walked around the corner from that conversation with my bride and I had no words. I usually had quick fix at words, but I had mm-hmm. nothing. When a man's told, I don't love you. And your call as a man is to be a leading, loving servant. And here I am, a pastor, a minister of the gospel. I I didn't feel like a failure. I knew I had failed. Mm. And and it's a good thing to admit when we fail. Yeah. It's a very healthy thing to say, I have failed. That doesn't mean that we're misidentifying ourselves as failures, but it's a good thing to say, I've screwed this up. And I was faced with a temptation, though I looked in the mirror, sitting over my sink, and I remember having just heard those words, left my wife sitting on the bed, Walked around the corner, nothing to say, and everything inside me wanted to rationalize away. Mm-hmm. And and she would have willingly said she had brought plenty to the party. But I wanted to, Satan was begging me to focus just on her. Mm-hmm. And the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with his urging, asked me to take a long look at myself and that I had been giving table scraps to my bride. Yeah. And by God's grace and his power, he turned me around and... Uh, set us on a course where we could begin to build real intimacy in our marriage. Well, Carl, that's exactly what happened with us. 
And, uh, you know, if you don't take responsibility, if you don't say, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer, and you're constantly diverting the responsibility elsewhere, uh, there really is no hope for change. Yeah, yeah. No, no, there is no hope for change. You're right on, Chuck. Now, you have given these seven resolutions. Uh, What I'd like to do is go through them very quickly, uh, just get them out there, and then we'll go through them one by one. So lay them out for us. Okay, and the, there's no chronological order in this except for the first one, and that is joining God. And I'll get into that later. But join God, think truth, kill sin, choose friends, take risks, focus effort, and redeem time. Okay. Even as I cite those, i got to tell you, Chuck, it, it gives me thrill because each of those have significant power to see radical change in our life. And if we, by God's grace, can piece them together, oh, we won't be the persons that we are today in, a, in even a month from now. We All right. We'll be different. There are two things. Uh, actually, there are four pillars for this program, and two of those uh, are preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. And the other is, another is discipling for destiny. Today we're doing both of those. We're preparing people's hearts and minds for history's final hour because if we're not walking in these seven resolutions, we're not going to make it. Jesus said you're not going to make it. He said he that endures to the end is going to be saved, not he that pretends, not he that uh, enters into some sort of contract idea 50 years ago. We have to walk the walk, talk the talk, run the race, just like you did with the inner rod there in Alaska. And uh, it's it's time for us to get on board with God's plan. We have to join God, partner with God. We make the choices, but God helps us make the change, and he moves in our minds and our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Now, here's yeah. the problem with that. Uh, I grew up in the traditional evangelical church. My father was a pastor for 50 years. And one of the things that plagued much of the evangelical community and still does is a disconnect between the present power of the Holy Spirit and just believing in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with the idea that the Holy Spirit was the third person in the Trinity, but there was no real connection to living in the Spirit and through the Spirit, and by the power of the Spirit, and with the inspiration of the Spirit, because of what was called cessationism. Yeah. That all that went out with the disciples, so now you're on your own. What say you? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I was raised in a cessationist viewpoint, and I think it's very dangerous. And and I have a lot of friends that are cessationists. That generally speaks to meaning that the sign gets a cease for today. But here's the problem, Chuck. You just nailed it. I don't not heard many people say this. <laughs> the problem the problem with this yeah. is simple. When you say the sign gifts have gone, oftentimes you'll say then the Holy Spirit has gone inadvertently. Mm-hmm. And most how how do I say this? What I would call healthy cessationists, that we would have different difference of opinion about whether or not certain gifts manifest today. That's really not the issue. If you, in any way, shape, or form, minimize the Holy Spirit, you're minimizing the Trinity. And if we, if we don't understand the Holy Spirit, 
you will never understand the book of Acts. You will never live a fruit-bearing life, according to John 15, because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So if we don't understand the Holy Spirit, we will never understand what it is for God to shape our lives. Absolutely. That he's mapped out. This is so important. I got to tell you, uh, because of the way I grew up, I had to come to a moment of truth in the Valley of Decision concerning the role of the Holy Spirit. It took God two years to bring me to the place of humbling myself and admitting that I desperately needed the Holy Spirit of my life. And the rest was history. And that happened as a result of a political campaign that I ran in 1976. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. Let's join God. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. One of the main reasons we do not submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives is because of pride. Pride manifests itself in I got to be in control. And we have this idea, I had this idea, that if I really submitted to the Holy Spirit, then I would be out of control and that wouldn't be very good. God had to help me deal with that. He wants to be in control. That has been an issue that I think Claus has paralyzed professing Christians uh, for years. What say you? You know, it's Andrew Murray. And then I'll, well, let me go to the scripture first, then I'll quote Andrew Murray. This is scripture. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's Mm -hmm. no gray zone on this. There's no no gray zone on this, Chuck. It is God loves you enough to stiff arm you in your pride. It's not a matter of he'll just leave you alone. It's a matter of he is opposition to you. Mm-hmm. But he gives grace, the power to do in us what we can't do in ourselves to the humble. For though the Lord is high, Psalm 138.6, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Who, If you want close proximity to Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, humility is it. Now, you know, Andrew Murray wrote a book called Humility. It is power. There's not a wasted word in this book. No, but he didn't write the book Humility and How I Attained It. You know what? You're a sweet. You're a piece of work, let me tell you. So here's what here's one sentence that he that I quote from it all the time because I think it's absolutely solidly biblical and from Genesis to Revelation you find it. He says 
gives birth to every other virtue. He goes on to explain, and this is so true, he says the absence of humility is explanation enough for every character defect in the supposed Christian life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now that's getting down into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. That really is. And that's where we need to be talking. Uh, that's one of the things that we do here on this program is try to go beyond the surface-level churchianity. And let's no, talk about applying the Word of God. Because if we yeah. don't apply it in the nitty-gritty areas of our life, there's no transformation. It's just information. Yeah. 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 Um, I'll, I'll give you a practical one that's very important to me. One of the most profound experiences I ever had was reading through the Gospel of John, and I came to John 15, and we see the narrative where Jesus is going with his disciples toward mm-hmm. the cross. And he's walking, obviously, through a vineyard, and he says, gentlemen, hold up. And he grabs a fistful of grape leaves, picks them up, and it must have been right at peak season. Because he, then he looks at this construct of a vineyard. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branch. You abide in me. You will bear fruit. It's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So this minimalist Christianity, that kind of dumbs down the bounty of God's blessing, is rubbish, just for starters. It is to God's glory that we bear much fruit. But then you've got to ask the question. You just said this, Chuck. You've got to ask the question. Let's get in the nitty-gritty of how does this work? Because it's not a... If you, it, if you think you're going to bear fruit by going to church, we're, we're dreaming dreams that will mm-hmm. never come true. But Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branch, you abide in me. Here's, here's what we sometimes do, and I've done this plenty. I still do this. I still get derailed because there's a spiritual war. We attempt to produce fruit in our own strength. Love, oh, I got to be loving. Oh, I need to be nice. I need to be kind. Oh, I or I got to get more listeners. Or I got to get more listeners. <laughs> I got to do this. I got to do that. I've got to. The list goes on and on and on. Here's here's the reality. Here's the, here's the hope in this. No, we can't produce fruit. That's the product of an abiding relationship with Jesus. But modern-day Christianity has taught us we need to focus on fruit production. Jesus said, focus on proximity, and I'll produce the fruit in Uh, you. uh, And that's a big change. Well, it is a big change. So we're partnering with God so that we can experience his power. That's the uh, first of the resolutions, join God. And, uh, friends, in order to understand that more in depth, you just got to get a copy of the book, The Seven Resolutions. $14 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and you're going to get the book in your hands, which is going to guide you, inspire you to move away from the gospel light churchianity to be able to live a life of fruit in the Holy Spirit. Now, the second item is to think truth. But today... Pontius Pilate's words keep echoing out across the uh, rivers of time. 
what is truth? And yeah. so we're told that you really can't take God at his word because in reality, science supersedes the word of God, even if it comes in the name of Dr. Fauci, who himself has been proven to be a deceiver by his own admission. And so, yeah. friends, we just cannot trust anything other than God. We have to think truth. But what does that really mean, Klaus? Well, Carl? Yeah, at, at the end of the day, Chuck, uh, truth uh, is is truly ex- experiential. And truth is evidenced by the amount of liberty that it promises. And this is why you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is why Kyle and Dalich, their commentary on taste and see that the Lord is good, is that they believe, and it's true, that what God's trying to drive at in Scripture is that, come here, come here, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. I do not believe that you can... um, I do not believe that you can apologetic someone into the kingdom. This is a spiritual transformation. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, hold hold on just a moment. What you have said, you're the first person I have ever heard, other than yours truly here, who have said you just can't apologize or apologetics or, shall we say, rationalize your way into the kingdom or argue no, yourself it, into the kingdom. You can't do it. You can't do it. Jesus said it. He said Nicodemus himself said, this is such a mystery to be born again. And here's a here's a leader of the law, and he comes to him in the middle of the night, and he says, hey, I can tell you're a leader. Um, how, how does this happen? He says, you must be born of the water and of spirit. What does this mean? Unless the Holy Spirit touches down in a life, they will never experience the transforming power of God's grace. This is why I tell parents all the time, when you're thinking about a derailed, wayward kid or a loved one who is far from God, you will never argue them into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You need to, The best thing you can do is spend, for every one minute you're arguing, spend 15 minutes on your knees begging the Holy Spirit to pull down the blinders of this world. Thank you very much. So we live at the mercy of our ideas. Another way of putting that is the way we think determines how we live. So stinking thinking produces stinking living. And unfortunately, our thoughts have been so co-opted by the spirit of this age. And uh, the whole church, in -hmm. fact, let's, let's go back. I spent 20 years practicing law in Pasadena, California. That is the seedbed of the church growth movement that began in the early 1970s. That's where it started. Out of the church growth movement came the diminishing of truth in order to try to market the gospel and grow churches. That was not enough for us because by the late 1980s and early 1990s, that metastasized into the seeker-sensitive movement. That was the church growth movement on steroids. So what we've done even in the name of Christ, to supposedly secure the ministry of Christ, we have actually done exactly the opposite of what Christ called us to do. We've diminished the truth, 
and we've sold ourselves under it. And look at the millions of people now that are supposedly gracing our congregations that are not embracing God's truth. They're embracing oh, self-help. Oh, oh, Chuck. Chuck, you're, you're spot on here. This is, this is the malady that we have today. We've, we've attempted to disciple untold millions of unregenerate people, and I'm not condemning anyone here. I'm, right. I'm, just, I'm just trying to share my bold experience in the church, mm-hmm. that we're trying to disciple unregenerate people. They know songs. They might even give a little money. But there is not a broken yieldness before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so there, it's in, last time I checked, Chuck, it's impossible to disciple unregenerate people. You can only make disciples of disciples. Out of, transform, <laughs> out of disciples of Christ. That's exactly right. You can only disciple disciples. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> By definition. Okay. Now that's true. And that brings us to the next item, which in, in some respects, other than the necessity of the empowering of the Holy Spirit to guide us uh, and to lead us into all truth, sin will paralyze everything. So you say the third one is kill sin. Now, the Apostle Paul put it differently. He said, I, uh, I crucify the flesh. I'm crucified with Christ. He said, I put to death my flesh. Yep. Yep. Now, what did he mean by that? Did he mean kill well, sin in my flesh? What did he mean by that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Killing sin is an absolute appropriate biblical term. Uh, we've, we've, we played patty cake with sin. We pushed <laughs> it into the shadows. No, and I, and I really mean this. And, and we've, we've, we've grieved over sin. And let's be really honest here, because I've done all these tricks with sin. You can grieve over sin. You can rationalize it. You can mm-hmm. minimize it. You can yeah. explain it away. But until we put a death blow to it, Jesus said these words. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. All right. Well, we want to spare some people's hands, but we don't want to spare sin. from. We've got to kill it. We'll be right back after this. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Until we believe that we're at war, that life as a Christian is at war, that the stakes are for your soul and mine, friends. We're going to probably just play at Christianity. We're not going to be all that serious about it. We're just not. But Jesus considered it to be warfare. 
The Apostle Paul considered it to be warfare. In fact, he talked to his ministry sidekick, Timothy, and he said, look, you're going to have to be like a good soldier, and you're going to have to toughen up. You're going to have to get with it and realize that this walk with Christ is not an easy day for a lady, so to speak. It's time to get serious about our faith. And that means that we have to kill sin, the flesh, the carnal nature that drives us. And friends, it's the carnal nature that's destroying America. From the church house to the White House to the schoolhouse to the courthouse. So, our guest today says in his book, Resolution, Resolution Number 3 in Killing Sin, he says we've got to attack it, we've got to expose it, we've got to attack it, and we've got to overwhelm it. And he says, so what we need to do is bring to mind the ugliest sins that have held us back right now. Without pretending, bring them all, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, stealing, murder, adultery, coveting, pornography, alcohol, prescription drugs, pot, deceit, sensuality, racism, envy, slander, food, spiritual pride, gossip, bitterness, rudeness, boastfulness, and a whole lot more that we haven't even mentioned. we got to bring them all to the foot of the cross and kill them. Wow. Now, that kind of talk doesn't market well today. Doesn't grow churches today as we think about it, does it? I actually think it's counterintuitive. I, I, Chuck, I believe that we are running scared from the culture and therefore do not give them what they need nor what they really are looking for. Thank you very now, much. That is absolutely I really true. This. It's true. I believe this. I believe we've dumbed down the gospel to our own peril. And what we've what what I personally have witnessed is that churches, leaders, men, women who are willing to preach the truth. I'm not talking angry evangelicalism here, Chuck. Mm-hmm. We, angry evangelicalism has never saved a soul. You can go be ticked off all you want, whatever you want, but the fact is it's the mercy of God that leads us it's the love of god that leads us to repent you got that his right. kindness so we need to be you can hold a high standard without being a jerk and that's a fact so and what what are we called to do let our light so shine but when it comes to sin if we look at the word it's clear put to death whatever is earthly in you you just cited that colossians 3 5 and Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, this is good theology, right mm-hmm. in the middle of chapter 6, he says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make it, you obey its passion. So, Okay, here's the question then. Yeah. How do we let not sin do that? Okay, and, and thank you. There's, I think, three themes that are repeated over and over and over in Scripture. This is in 1 John 1, 1.9. It's James 5. First off, you've got to expose it. If it remains in the shadows, mm-hmm. it's going to keep killing you. Okay. And you might say, you're listening right now, and you're thinking, yeah, okay, I've got most of my life under control, but this one thing's in the shadows. It is diminishing every part of your life. I can assure you of that. Satan is happy to let it sit in the shadows because it is devouring you. If, if, 
if not just for shame alone, it is devouring you. So you got to expose it, bring it into the light, to God and man. James 5 is a powerful principle. Find a trusted brother or sister. It doesn't mean go up and cheer in front of 100 people on a Sunday night service. Don't do that. <laughs> That's called stupid. Go find a couple of people you can trust and say, my brothers, my sisters, this is what is eating my lunch. Here it is. Good. Okay, mm. then you've done that. Number two. Don't get into the old-time small group syndrome that you come back week after week. How you doing, Ted? Oh, I'm doing good. How you doing with that sin? Oh, I fell again. Okay, we'll pray for you, and that happens week in, week out. Oh, how you doing, Ted? Oh, I'm back in the ditch again. No, <laughs> you expose it, but then you attack it. What do we mean by attack it? If you're called to kill it, you've got to get creative about putting it to death. I'll, I'll be this bold. I help people all the time, men make smartphones into dumb phones so that pornography isn't at the ready. It used to be back in the good old days that we used to have to have a a friend that had a perverted uncle who had some books hidden away somewhere. (laughs) Well, now you don't need to have a friend with a perverted uncle. You've got a phone. And in a nanosecond, I don't care if you're 10 years old, you can pull up the most disgusting images going, and Satan loves that. But you can, a simple thing of attacking it is to attack its source. Don't let it have life. Whether it's turning a smartphone into a dumb phone by having an access code given to a friend that is unbeknownst to the owner of the phone so that it goes dead during times of temptation mm. or doesn't let you to certain sites, whatever the case is good. I got a one friend that was getting chewed up by, uh, frankly, he was eating himself sick with bad foods. Mm. And he made a radical choice. He decided he would not make that food available to him. He said, I'm not going to have anything but healthy foods in my house. I'm going to honor the Lord by putting in my mouth and putting in my home things that can go in my mouth that will honor God. That was between him and God. Mm-hmm. I know a woman that, that was struggling with spending sprees galore. She came to her group and said, here's my credit cards. I'm cutting them up didn't work. She was doing end arounds, figuring a way to get cash withdrawals <laughs> out of the bank. So she went to a friend. She says, all right, I got to get more creative with attack and sin. This is, I want you to see my printout of everything that's going in and coming out of my bank account. Listen, if our soul is at stake here, isn't it worth it, Chuck, to take extreme measures to kill what's killing us? And the mm-hmm. answer is mm-hmm. it is. Well, this is what the apostle Paul meant when he said flee temptation. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, Jesus faced all these temptations like as we, yet without sin. And yeah. it's because of that that he's able to be our Savior and yeah. to have taken that sin upon the cross. Uh, but now we've got to do something with it. We've got to partner with God. We can't do yeah. it on our own. We need the continuing empowering of the Holy Spirit, and we need to expose ourselves every single day to the word of God and its authority because the scripture says that the Lord is watching over his word to perform it. So if we think that somehow we can do it without the word of God daily, bringing us to conviction of sin and the call to righteousness, aren't we just playing games? Yeah, we are. You know, the, the amazing thing about the promises of God you know, uh, we told people, we told people the what and the how 
of how to do church. Yep. But we've neglected to tell them the why. When it comes to the Word of God, the why, oh, I store up my word, your word in my heart, so that I won't sin against you, God. Oh, oh, I I linger with your word, and I walk away from fools, mockers, and scoffers, because God, then you promise my leaf will not wither, and all that I do will prosper. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And I, I, I just gave you Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Yep. And I gave you Psalm 119. And there, the scripture is replete. Look at King Josiah, my favorite king. He didn't even know what to stand for. He started killing idols of his time. He started destroying Asherah poles and the priests that founded them. And then they found a book of the law. They read it to that precious king. He tore his robes and says, uh-oh, we've gotten off the path. He even got he rid of his own the- mother that was... Uh- he didn't kill her, yeah. but he got rid of her uh, in leadership because she was leading the people astray. Yeah. So we've got yeah, to be no. careful about the friends and the relationships we have. Oh, my goodness. And choosing friends is a huge one. Listen, either you've got spiritual spiritual elevator up people or spiritual elevator down people. You don't have any friends that can lead you either up or down. There's nothing neutral in this world. And this is why we need to surround our people. You know, it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 that quotes um, a, a Greek poet from 450 years prior to his right, a Greek poet. And when he said, bad company corrupts morals. Mm. Menander was a Greek poet who did that as a playwright. And all proving again, all truth is God's truth. But yes, yes. Yes. We've got to have the we right relationships, the right friends, yeah. uh, and then we, you know, there are three more of these uh, resolutions. One is to take risks. In other words, it's yeah. it's not just a matter of uh, becoming Christian cruisers. We have to be Get willing out to step out uh, by faith. If you won't step out by faith, then you're going to uh, you're going to go backwards. Next, yeah. focus your effort. We've got to be focused on, I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? Seek first the kingdom of God and yes. his righteousness. A lot of people say they, they, they want to focus on the kingdom of God, but they don't want to focus on righteousness. But without righteousness, you don't even have the kingdom of God because the throne of God sits on the throne of righteousness. Chuck, listen, you are so spot on with this. The fact is, my friend... If we just begin to understand that the way we found God is the way we will grow in God, by humble dependence on him and him alone. Mm. The, the problem with self-help Christianity is that it's not Christianity at all. It's not Christianity at all. So it is, it's, it's uh, self-help, uh, cultural religiosity, where yep. Jesus is the mascot and we're the master. Yeah, <laughs> you said it. Okay, now the final thing is uh, the Apostle Paul says that we need to redeem the time because the days yeah. are evil. Yeah. Uh, time is short, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, Moses said it. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he knew he wasn't even going to go into the promised land, but he had a song he wrote, one song. It's song 90. It's found in your hymnal. It's called the Book of Songs, <laughs> Psalms. 
in its Psalm 90, and, and this is what he's, he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A lot of people have thought, oh, wise people redeem time. No, uh-uh. When you redeem time, you become wise, Chuck. Mm. That's what the scriptures say. That's what the scriptures say. And you won't become wise if you don't begin with the foundation of the fear of the Lord, because the found of, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Yes, absolutely. It all be, it all comes back to the beginning, doesn't it? Chuck? It does. It we really join does. God by falling before Him. Yes. So I want to ask you a quick question here. Do you believe that we're on the near edge of the second coming? I'm not asking you to give a day or a time, but do you believe we're in that general season? I do, and I'm going to be this bold. I have a friend that's actually, there's some, I don't believe that it's a complete mystery. Day or the hour, we do not know. But I, I, I do believe that just because of the reconstitution of, boy, this gets into some heavy stuff, but I believe that because of the reconstitution of what was, an ancient empire, and we're seeing it re- reconstructed now. I I think we are very, very close hmm. with the upheaval in our world today like we've never seen. Yeah. Although poverty and some of these things have been uh, remedied to some large degrees, and they really have, the undercurrent of the moral decay of our global climate is such that I think um, we're reaching a Tower of Babel moment. There we are. That's exactly where we are, and that's why we need to understand what it means to redeem the time. In our own lives, friends, time is short. Let's redeem the time because the days are evil. All right, the seven resolutions, friends. you got to get the book because it'll be so encouraging to you. If you really believe that we're near that time, don't we want to get our lives in order $14 will put this very encouraging book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, the seven resolutions. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Become a partner. Do it today, friends. Invest in the kingdom, in the preparation for the ways of the Lord, because it's history's final hour. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.